you know, we know what's best for our kids. And we tell them all the time that we know what's best for them. And they don't always listen. And you know what? That doesn't end when they're little. Um, I think it gets worse when they hit puberty. Okay? So sorry if you haven't hit that stage yet. <laughs> You're in for fun. Um, and then it gets even worse. Not just that, but it gets even worse, I think, when, when um, they get to be young adults. Right? Oh, they get to be 16, 17, and they know everything. And then you would think it gets better. I remember very distinctly the moment where Carrie and I stopped being stupid in Riley's eyes. Right? It was yesterday. <laughs> right? You know, no, actually, it hasn't even happened yet. Um, sometimes there's moments where it happens. But, you know, Riley, of course, is 24 now. And so, so the older she gets, the smarter we get. It's awesome. Right? But it's hard. This is difficult stuff. And so even if you're here and you've got adult kids, you, you know what I'm talking about when you're saying that it's not always quite so simple in this process. It's not quite so simple. And so here's, here's what we need to do is we need to figure out what it is exactly um, that the Bible has to say about how do we raise kids um, in obedience and honor. And the reason for that is because, well, it's, it's just pretty important. Um, Here's the deal. Kids today, by and large, a little bit out of control. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about any specific kids that are in here, so don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pointing my fingers at anybody, but kids, by and large, are a little bit out of control. And we can, we can spend a lot of time figuring out how that is or why that works, but, but the idea is that kids have kind of lost the idea of respect for authority. Okay? And it doesn't quite work the way that it's supposed to. One teacher said it this way, said it, that, that when it comes to kids in school, that, that the teachers are always motivated by fear of the principal. Now, I know it's an overstatement, so, um, you know, teachers, principals, don't, don't get all. But, but the teachers are motivated by fear of the principal, and the principal's motivated by fear of the superintendent. And the superintendent's motivated by fear of the board, and the board is usually motivated by, by fear of how the parents will respond, and parents are oftentimes motivated by fear of how the kids are going to act and what they're going to do, and, and the kids aren't afraid of anybody. They don't care. And it's an overstatement, but, but you get a picture of the way things are kind of going in the world that we live in, and I want to tell you something. Here's what I need you to understand. There is absolute disaster brewing when children are allowed to make their own way in the world. I need you to hear that now because that's going to fly directly in the face to things that the culture will tell you about raising healthy, happy, self-actualized children. This is one of those areas, and, and we've talked about them before, and they will happen where we as the church that want to honor and follow what God has to say to us in the Word. By the way, you've heard me tell you this before. I might as well remind you now. This is absolutely authoritative. There is nothing in here that's not true. Everything in here is God-inspired, and therefore we deal with it as truth, okay? And there are multiple times when we, as a culture, are going to smack headlong into what this word has to say, and parenting right now is one of them. Popular culture, popular teaching is going to tell you that we need to let kids find their own way. And what I'm going to tell you is when I understand Scripture and when I see what happens in the world around us, that disaster 
is brewing when children are allowed to make their own way. So there's some things that we need to navigate here, okay? And it's critical, and, and, and it's critical for a lot of reasons for the society that we live in and the world we live in. Listen, you know, we've got to make some course corrections. It's critical, but it's even more. Listen to me now. You've got to hear this. It is even more important for the Christian parent to understand this. It's more important for you as a Christian parent to understand this than it is for anybody else in the world. And the reason for that is what we talked about last week. Because as Christian parents, our number one goal, I keep pointing up here, we'll get this back, I promise. They're, on, they're ordered, they'll be here soon, hopefully next Sunday, but you can forgive me, I, I know there's nothing there. It's not like I'm confused. Um, but here's the deal, as Christian parents, this is something we talked about last week. You can catch up online if you missed it. But the number one goal for our kids needs to be that they grow to love Jesus more than they love anything else as adults. That's our priority. Okay, That's what we're trying to instill in our kids. That's more important than their happiness. That's more important than their popularity. It's more important than their success. It's more important than everything else. It's more important than, than how good they are at sports or music or those things. Okay, We talked about that, but that's the priority. And when that's the priority, children cannot be left to navigate on their own. God has a lot of things to say about how when we intervene and we teach them, they grow up in the mold they should grow up in. And when we leave them, absenteeism, absentee parenting, when we're not around or when we're around but we're not guiding and directing, that they go their own way. And in a world that's manipulated by the culture that we live in, in a world that's influenced by Satan, the enemy of your souls, when kids are left to go their own way, they're not really going their own way. They're going the wrong way. So there's course correction that we need as a church. We need to be able to step into this and we need to be able to see what's happening here. And I'm going to tell you why this is such a big deal and I especially want to talk to any of the teenage kids that are here now. So listen, these aren't my words, these are God's words. Here we go. The eye that mocks a father, don't do it, right? And that despises a mother's instructions. Therefore, the child that does not obey and honor their parents, listen to this, it's a big deal. The eye of that kid will be plucked out by ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. So, you choose. It's a big deal. That's all I'm saying. Okay. All right, let's get, it, get into this. We're going, to be, we're going to look in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. We'll actually touch on verse 4, and then we'll drill down hard on verse 4 next week as we take a look at um, the command to children and the command to fathers and parents. Okay, but here's what this says, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. You can follow along with me here or in your Bible. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Okay, so this is pretty straightforward stuff. Okay, children, obey your parents. That's what's right. Okay, honor your mother and father. That's the first commandment that came with a promise. Now, you probably know this because we dealt with the Ten Commandments earlier in the year, but when he says that's the first commandment with a promise, that is, uh, it's, a, it's a connection to the Ten Commandments, Okay, what, uh, what God gives through Moses um, as they leave, as the Jews leave Egypt and, and they stop and, and he goes up on the mountain and he's given the commandments. Um, and commandment number five says, honor and obey your parents. 
Okay? And so what's happening is Paul's bringing this teaching in. And there's something quick here that has nothing to do with parenting that just is true about Scripture that I need you to know. And it's about the Old and the New Testament. We've talked about this before, but this is a reminder. And since it comes up in this text, I want to address it. Okay? Both the Old and the New Testament contain truth. Sometimes you'll hear people, um, and, and they'll say it because they heard it on YouTube, okay, or, or they read it in a Richard Dawkins book or something, but they'll tell you that the Old Testament and the New Testament contradict each other. Here's what you need to understand about that. They certainly do not. They absolutely do not contradict each other. One is a fulfillment of the other. So as you read truth in the Old Testament and the New Testament, here's how you need to understand them. Old Testament proclaims the truth of the New Testament. Okay, the, um, now, I mean, it tells a true story about what's happening now, but a lot of the things we read in the Old Testament proclaim what's to come. Okay, and as we read the New Testament, the New Testament reveals the truth of the Old. Okay, and so we see truth being shared in the Old Testament that, that hasn't happened yet, or that hasn't come to fruition yet, or that hasn't grown up with the world yet. And then as we get to the New Testament, we see how these things play out and what they were about. Uh, it's why the book of Hebrews is so awesome, okay? But this is what's happening here. So we see in Ephesians, okay, Paul's talking to the church about how to live under the Holy Spirit. That's something totally new. The whole heading of this section is Christians, how do you live under the guidance of the Holy Spirit? And he's talked about slaves and masters. He's talked about husbands and wives. He's talked about church people with church people. Now he's talking about the parenting relationship. How do you live under the influence of the Holy Spirit that now lives in you? This is altogether new teaching, and all of a sudden it makes sense why this was so important in the Ten Commandments. So that's what's happening here, and this is what he says. His children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay? It's right. You say, well, why is it right? Why is it right for children to obey their parents? Well, because it's simpler that way, isn't it? But it's more than that. Okay? Honor your mother and father. Now, let's deal here with the promise. Okay? The promise is simple. The promise is so that you live long on the earth. Okay? Now, this does not mean that when you obey, you will live to be 150, okay? Some of you are thinking, well, you know, hey, that's pretty simple. I'll do what my parents say, and I'll live to be 150, and that won't be a problem. And that's kind of a misunderstanding of what they're saying. Really, what he's talking about here is legacy. You've got to remember what was important to the Jews at that time, back in Exodus. What really mattered to them was less about the length of their own life and more about the length of their line, lineage is what mattered. And part of the thing here is that, look, if you obey, then you'll be blessed with a long line. Your generations, generation after generation, your lineage will last. That was what was so critical. Okay, that was what was so critical. Remember King Saul, the first king? Okay, when God says, you know what, you're not going to be king anymore, he doesn't say you're going to stop being king. What he says is, you're not king anymore, meaning that your son won't be king. The line won't continue. This won't go on. That's what they were worried about. And so this, this promise here has to do with legacy. And as parents, we get that, don't we? Think about what your desires are for your kids. Even if your kids are adult kids, I'm not, I'm, what are your desires for them? Don't you desire them to live life in the Lord? Don't you desire them to parent their kids, your grandkids, better than you parented them? 
Don't you desire for them to experience the fullness of everything you strived for? Don't you want for them to surpass you? That's, I mean, if we're honest, that's what we want with our kids. I mean, I, I think I'm a pretty good dad, right? I think I'm a pretty good husband. And I, I think I, I love the Lord with my whole heart. But you know what? Honestly, I, I want to be at a point in my life where I can look at my kids and I can say, you know what? They're a better spouse than I ever was. And they're a better parent than I ever was. And they love God, and it puts me to shame the way they love God. See, that's what we desire. And what God is telling us is, look, obedience results in blessing. We talked about that last week. Not like God's sitting there like, um, you know, you tell a kid and they go to the store. Like, if you be good in the store, I'll let you pick a treat when we leave. You know as well as I do, that don't work. And so either that's going to be a really rough time at the store, or, and probably that kid's going home with a treat anyway, right? Because, I mean, we've all made that mistake before, haven't we, right? That's not what God's saying here. He's not saying, if you be good, I'll give you this stuff. What he's saying is, this stuff, the blessing, naturally flows from a life of obedience. And that's what we try to get our kids to understand all the time, isn't it? You do what's right, and life will move smoothly, I remember having this conversation with Riley when she went off to college. Don't get a credit card. Don't get a credit card, right? Why? Because if you don't get a credit card, when you leave college, you'll be debt-free. There'll be all of these blessings that come from being debt-free that you can't possibly begin to realize when you're 18, and they give you a $5,000 credit limit. She did okay. Some of you are like, no, she was all right. Um, only one credit card, and we made her cancel it while we sat and listened to her. Um, I was mad. Anyway, uh, yeah, it, was, it was a big deal. And then I think she failed to pay like the $25. So I think it ended up costing her like $150 for that dinner that she bought that she couldn't afford. Don't do that. That's a mistake. Anyway, that's a completely different thing. But, but this is what we're saying. We're saying, listen, obedience will naturally result in blessing later on. In all areas, that's the promise that God is making here, okay? And now there's something you need to understand, parents, kids, teenagers especially. Satan is awful. Satan is terrible. And here's something that you need to drill down on, something you just need to know. Anytime God promises, Satan opposes that is a fundamental truth in Scripture and in the world that we live in. Anytime God makes a promise, Satan opposes. Satan does not want you to experience the blessings of God. Satan opposes. We see it first and foremost at the cross. The cross of Christ is a promise for those that come and believe and submit. The cross says... If you bring your broken self to the foot of the cross, and if you confess your sin, and you trust in Jesus, and you submit to Jesus, then you will be given a new spiritual identity, a new heart, a new life, and you will live free from sin. Satan opposes that. With every fiber of his being, Satan opposes that. Right? We get that. That's why there's people that are blind. That's why we get people that refuse to admit that sin exists. Why we get people that refuse to believe that anything bad they do would ever trump anything good that they do. Because Satan opposes what God promises, and it works for families too. In fact, listen, Christian, I need you to understand this. 
and I don't think I'm exaggerating, for Christians right now, I think the family is the number one way that Satan attacks the church. The number one way that Satan attacks the church is through the family. So some of you want to know, Matt, why does a, a series on parenting matter to me when I either don't have kids or my kids are older out of the house or look at them, bro, I'm nailing it, right? Some of you have that attitude. Why does it matter to me? Because the church is under attack. And Satan's number one way of attacking the church, I believe, is through the family dynamic. This is a big deal. Okay, we, we got to understand how this works. Okay, now, here's the deal. Just because the church is under attack here doesn't necessarily mean um, that, we have, that we have to forfeit or that we're, that we're going to lose or anything like that. But here's what we have to do. We have to start to understand what all of this means, okay? And we have to understand why the family is so important and why Satan attacks so much. Okay, but let's look at this again. Children, obey your parents. Why? Because it's right. Obey your parents in the Lord for it's right. Honor your father and mother. It's a big deal, Okay? And you know why that is? I want to be clear with you here. It's because the family is ground zero for what God hopes to accomplish through the church and in the world. If you've got kids, I want you to think of them right now. I don't care how old they are. If you've got grandkids, you can think of them too. If you don't have kids or grandkids, think of a kid that you love, a niece, a nephew, a student, one of the little ones running around here at church, I want you to think of them. I want you to drill down on a child that you care about. And I want you to understand the truth. What God wants to accomplish through that child, the family is ground zero for that. The family is ground zero for what God wants to accomplish in that child in the world, because the family is where we learn how it works. You say, Matt, why is the family so important? Why is this such a big deal? The family is so important because God has instituted the family not just to be nice to us. God has instituted the family not just to mess with some of you. God instituted the family because that is the framework that he uses to teach us what a relationship with him is supposed to be like. That's what a family is all about. It's so much bigger than what we think it is. That's why there's so much at stake, and that's why Satan wants to attack it so considerably, because it means something bigger than we think it does. Think about this. As a family, that's your opportunity to love your kids unconditionally. You know who else loves unconditionally? God loves unconditionally. Do you know what's so hard for a human being to fathom? someone that loves them unconditionally. You have all, I have, we've all been burned by people that claim to love us. Whether it was in a parent relationship, in a friend relationship, in a romantic relationship, whatever it was, we've all been burned by people who have claimed to love us. But the family is where we learn, it's where God intends us to learn that unconditional love trumps disappointment. I'm going to, listen, I don't, I don't want to poke any bears or, 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 or kick over any hornet's nest here, but I got to tell you something. This is why marriage can't be taken lightly. 
This is why marriage can't be taken lightly. Because what are we telling our kids? Now, I'm going to stop. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm... Okay, we've talked about this before. If you're curious about this, you come talk to me. There are sermons online that you can listen to. Divorce sometimes is an option. Sometimes, biblically, divorce needs to be pursued. I'm not suggesting that there's never a time and a place for divorce. It has to be at some times pursued, okay? But it's not God's design. And it's not God's design because what does it teach it? See, again, the family unit is supposed to teach children what happens when we're disappointed and what happens when things are broken in a, in a context of unconditional love. It's supposed to teach us what loyalty looks like in the context of unconditional love. And what are we communicating when we say, well, it got hard, so we quit? So we've told you this before, but you parents are your children's first picture of what God is like. And if you're willing to call it quits, well, then what's their view of what God is like? I've counseled so many people who've had so much difficulty submitting to a God of the universe, especially the idea of a father God, because their dads were just absent or because their dads were abusive or because their dads hurt. But the family is critical in God's design. It's ground zero. That's why Satan wants to poke at it. It's where we learn not just this framework of unconditional love, but it's where we learn to fight fair. It's where we learn to struggle. And ultimately, it's where we learn to submit. The family's critical. The family is the covenant community where we learn to worship. It's critical. Okay, and and, and the reason that that gets messed up in the world, again, we'll go back to that same text in Ephesians 6. It says, you know, children, honor and obey. It says, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Because it's right. Honor your mother and father. When you do those things, it will go well with you. I promise. That's what God's saying. I promise that it'll go well with you because that's the way it was designed. Here's the problem, though, in our families. We forget this. We forget that obedience and honor are vertical. When God says, obey your parents because it's right, he's talking about a vertical relationship. Well, you know what else, what other relationship is vertical? It's the relationship between us and the God of the universe. Some of us have bad theology here. I don't want to call anybody out and I don't want to point any fingers. Um, but I need you to understand something here, that some of us have bad theology when it comes to the God of the universe. We love, love, love to think of God as our buddy. We love, love, love to think of God as our friend. And he is. God is your friend. God is for you. But never make a mistake about this. Your relationship with God is never horizontal. God is never on your plane. Your relationship with God is always vertical. He is always above you. He is always righteous. God is always holy. God always requires obedience, holiness, and submission. God doesn't say, be my buddy because I want to be your buddy. God says, be holy because I'm holy. That's a vertical relationship. Listen to me. The only way your kids are going to learn about that vertical relationship with God is if they experience it first with you.
there are too many families where kids have become in the center, where everything revolves around kids. Kids' schedules, kids' sporting events, kids' needs, kids' desires, kids' financial things that they want. Like everything in the family rolls around the kids, okay? And I get why that happens, okay? I get why that happens because culturally, we don't want to rob our kids of any advantage, right? Our kids want to play sports. We want them to play sports. Our kids want to play instruments. We want them to play instruments. Our kids want to go to that event. Well, their friends are going to that event and we don't want them to be left out. Then they'd be the weird kid that didn't get to go. So they go to that event. That costs money. That's okay. We'll sacrifice everything else because we need them to go to that thing because it's all good. The problem is when we act like that, what we've done is we've put kids at the center of the family universe and the kids need to learn that they are not the center of anything. It sounds harsh. And again, it's going to smack right in the face of what the culture says. But kids, obey your parents in the Lord because it's right. Honor your mother and father. And when you do that, it goes well for you. Worship is vertical. Obedience is vertical. Some of you are doing that to your kids. Some of you had it done to you. Some of you had it done to you. Some of you are doing it to your kids. You got to stop because you're not doing them the favor that you think you're doing them. Okay? You're just not doing them the favor you think you're doing them. Okay, so let's figure out how do we apply this? What does this really mean for us? Okay, and there's two schools of thought here about how do we get our kids to honor and obey? See, this is the thing. We're, we're, we're saying, hey, look, we need to honor and obey. And why do we teach our kids to honor and obey? Why is this vertical relationship so important? It's so important. Don't lose sight of this. It's so critical because what do we want? We want them to love Jesus. Everything we do as parents in, in the church, everything we do is, as the church that teaches, everything we do is to raise up kids that love Jesus more than they love anything else. That's what we want. We want our kids to love Jesus more than anything else. And, and so there's basically two models that we've used. One is the old school model. It's the dictator style. If you're old enough, I want you to think Archie Bunker. If you're young enough, you're like, who in the world is Archie Bunker? YouTube it. It's fine. Okay? But this is, this is the model where obedience trumps everything else. I get my way or else. Typically in this model, the dictator is the dad. Can be the mom, could be, oh my goodness, hey, grandparents, never be this grandparent. Don't. Don't be this grandparent. But, but sometimes the dictator might be the grandparent um, who directs and, and manipulates things in the family so that it's their way that goes or else. Okay, but the dictator is the one that gets their way no matter what. The problem with this role is that kids oftentimes, get this, they look like they've got it figured out. This is really dangerous in the church. Listen, parents, if you parent this way, even if you parent your adult children this way, I, I need you to think about something here for a second. This is dangerous. It's dangerous because what doesn't ever fly in a dictator-style relationship is freedom to think or believe differently because thinking and believing differently, guess what that's seen as? That's seen as rebellion. So when you think or believe differently than I do, I view that, and I'm a dictator-style parent, I view that as rebellion, and I quash rebellion. I punish 
rebellion because I know what's best, you don't. So we punish and we stop rebellion at all costs. The problem with this is kids will figure out really quickly how to toe the line. But will they really have that heart? See, and so here's what we see a lot. We've talked about this before, but you know how we get kids that grow up in the church? They go to Sunday school. Maybe they sing in the choir. You know, all through high school, they show up at youth group. They love Jesus. They might even lead their their high school Bible study about Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus is awesome. They tell everybody about Jesus. They go to college. Guess what they forget about? They forget about Jesus. Because for the first time, they get to experience what it, what it feels like and what it's like to all of a sudden have a, nif- a different idea that's not mom and dad's. To think a little bit differently with nobody calling it rebellion and nobody quashing it, nobody forcing it this way. And so one of the things that the church has had to deal with over the last few years, last couple decades, is a mass exodus. I want to give you a word of caution here. This is a big deal. We've had droves of 18 to 20-year-olds who go off to college or who leave the house, who leave the church completely. Because it was never theirs. It wasn't their faith. You know, it was their parents' faith. And they were forced to go with it or else. And so they played their part. But listen, in, every, in everybody's life, there's a time when I need my faith to be mine, not my parents'. I need to say that I believe this for me. I need to wrestle with, do I believe or not? Is this true or not? I hear my friends telling me one thing. I hear the teacher saying another here. I hear my parents in the church saying this. I need to wrestle with myself for what do I think here? And there's got to be a way to do that safely. But some of us, we get so worried about our kids' unbelief that we want to quash it. And we want to hold them under our thumb. Um, I got a perfect example. You're like, yay, examples. Yeah, I got one. His name was Jim Carrey, not the actor. My roommate in college. I was a freshman, 18. He was a freshman, 18. Altar boy, good kid by all accounts. Got kicked out of Augustana College within four weeks. I'm not sure I ever saw him sober. Finally got drunk and violent with the wrong people one night. Police got called, got arrested. Had to serve some time, and uh, you know what you kept hearing from his parents, right? This is a lot for. Yeah, I'm a freshman at college. Um, I did okay, right? But we're hanging out and we're having this conversation at the courthouse, and they're like, "I just don't understand it." Like he always did exactly what he was told. He was an altar boy. He did all of these things. He was, yeah. But you know what? It was never his. And as soon as he got away from that control, he went crazy because there was nobody there to call it rebellion but we've gone too far. See, the other part of that is now the new age thing, the, the new culture, what it's going to tell you is, you know what? Listen, don't be a dictator to your kids. Here's what you want to do. Be their friend. Be their friend. Grow them up. You know, you don't have to tell them what's right or wrong. Listen, if one more, and, and if you told me this, I'm going to apologize now for calling you out. I shouldn't say that. Yeah, I'll go ahead and do it anyway. Here's the deal. If one more person says to me, well, I just don't like to tell my kids no. You have to tell your kids no. God says no all the time. And we say, well, that's okay. God gets to tell us no. Well, in a family relationship, you are at the center. You get to tell your kids no. 
Sometimes you have to say, no, that doesn't fit with this family. No, that's not who we are. No, we don't have kids spend the night on Saturday night that aren't going to church with us on Sunday. No, you're not going somewhere else. Yes, we are going to get up and go to church today. Yes, you are going to participate in youth group. Yes, you are going to do these things. We have to do that as parents sometimes. We don't have to be dictators. We don't have to tell kids how they're supposed to think. We don't have to tell them what they're supposed to believe or how they have to do these things. But we do have to set the framework. Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about the difference um, in boundaries. Okay? Dictator parents say you need to walk on this sidewalk. You may not get off the sidewalk. You must walk up and down this. If you take a step too far and step in the grass, you are going to get screamed at. You're going to get hollered at, and I'm going to wrangle in that behavior right away because I said stay on the sidewalk. Friendship-style parents, this new age of parenting, says there is no sidewalk, right? You just go nuts. You go wherever you want to go. You do whatever you feel. I will support you. I'll ask you how you felt about that. I'll, I'll have conversations with you about it, but you just do what you got to do. I just want you to be happy. But the Bible challenges both of those, and it does it in verse 4. And we're going to drill down on verse 4 next week, but here's what the Bible has to say. It'll argue both of those styles, and it'll say, you know what? There's a better framework. And it's found in, in the same chapter, Ephesians 6, verse 4. Here's what it says. Fathers, you can go ahead and include mothers, grandparents, anybody in a parenting role there. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And I love this, and we'll deal with this next week. But here's the problem. We've been taught to believe that both of those things can't coexist. We've been taught to believe that if we're raising them up with discipline, then by giving them discipline, we're provoking them to anger. And the Bible says, well, don't provoke them to anger, but also bring them up in discipline and instruction. And, and, and we have this dissonance because our culture has told us those two things don't go together, but they absolutely do. Listen, think of it this way. Think of it this way. It's not the narrow sidewalk that they have to walk on. Okay, it's not that there are no rules. Go where you want to go. Do what you want to do. Be home when you want to be home. Date who you want to date. Have sex with who you want to have sex with. Just, you know, experiment with whatever you want. But, but all said and done, you know, just talk to me. Just trust me. You can tell me anything. You know what it is? It's saying, here's the playing field. Here's the football field. Stay in bounds and you're going to be okay. And I'm going to guide you through the process with discipline and I'm going to guide you with instruction, but you got to stay in bounds, okay? you got to figure out what you think. you got to figure out what you believe. you got to wrestle with what's yours. you got to figure out how to navigate this because my goal for you is to leave my house, not just being able to say Jesus is my priority, but to actually have Jesus as my priority. It's not simple. But God gives us a framework for it, and it starts with demanding honor and obedience. And we demand honor and obedience for this simple reason. Parents are the picture of God to their kids, and when children learn to obey and honor God, guess what? They're being trained up in how to honor and obey parents. I'm sorry, I said that backwards. When they honor and obey parents, they're being trained up in how to honor and obey God. It's step one in this process. It's a necessary thing. You know why? 
Because the family is the first opportunity for kids to figure out, listen to me, your family, stop pretending it's perfect. It's not, and it's okay. Stop pretending that your kids don't do wrong things. They do wrong things. That's okay. Stop covering for their mistakes. Instead, call their mistakes what they are. These things become important because, look, here's what it says. The Bible will teach you that the family is the kid's first opportunity to navigate fallen, broken sin. Where do kids learn that they're sinful? There are too many of you, um, I shouldn't say this, there are too many people that you know that will argue, sin isn't real. Like, I still argue with people sometimes that, that, you know, the church, there is no such thing as sin, but all the church wants to do is control your behavior. So they tell you that some things are right and some things are wrong. They're just trying to control your behavior. It's nothing to do with it. God says some things are right, some things are wrong. Where are kids going to learn that? Kids are going to learn that by figuring out that they sin in a family unit, that they're broken and that they make mistakes and that they do wrong things. And they're not allowed to get by with it. You know what else they learn? What's the first thing they learn? They learn first in the family that sin has a consequence. Sometimes it's a talking to. Sometimes it's a punishment. Sometimes it's a grounding. I don't know what it is, but they learn that sin has a consequence. They see that they're foolish, that they they make mistakes in their heart. You know what? The family unit is the first time where kids have acknowledged by somebody that unconditionally loves them and lets them risk. The first time they have acknowledged that, you know what? Your heart says run after that, and I know it, and I understand it, and I know it's hard, but stop. You can't run after that because it's wrong. The family unit is the safest place for a kid to learn that what my heart naturally wants to have, I can't have. Not now. Not this way. That happens in a family. This is God's design for a family. It's the first time they figure out that, you know what? Grace happens. And forgiveness happens. And that even though I've broken faith, that repentance is a real way to come back. We have too many adults that don't understand what repentance is. There there might be some of you in this room that don't understand what repentance is. You'll admit your mistake You'll admit your sin, but when I say you need to repent, you're like, eh. <laughs> no, I mean, I'd like to keep doing my sin, right? I mean, I've got this sin that's enjoyable, and I'll admit, yes, oh, I know it's bad. God, help me to stop doing it, but in my head, I'm already planning to go ahead and continue in that sin. But we learn in a family that functions the way God wants it to that, you know what? Repentance is necessary for reconciliation. It's like, I'm going to love you unconditionally, But you know what? This isn't over until we have repentance, which is I acknowledge that I'm wrong and I move away from my wrongness. And then we can start talking about moving forward. The family is where that happens. This is a big deal. This is not something we can take for granted. Ask the praise team to come up. Prepare to close this out here. And here's the thing that I want to remind you of. As we, as we kind of wrap up, that some of you are thinking, okay, Matt, that's all fine and good, but, but how do I get to the part where I can figure out to discipline and instruction, but not beat down my kids? That's, we'll talk about that next week. What we needed to know first was why it's so critical. Okay, so we're, we're getting a picture now of why it's so critical, what God wants to use the family for, and how we need to do that. And we'll get to this, this practical action steps of chapter 6, verse 4 in the book of Ephesians next week, and we'll deal with some more practical things. Grandparents, 
or people that have kids in their lives, I want to encourage you really to be a part of that next week because, listen to me, especially when we're trying to course correct, it takes a lot of people and effort and energy to make those corrections. Okay, so let's deal with that together. But here, here's the other thing I want to tell you just real quick as, as we prepare to close. The reason this is so critical, again, I can't stress this enough, the reason this is so critical is because there is something so much bigger than a happy life at stake. I want my kids to have a happy life, believe me. I want my kids to be successful. I want my kids to not come home and live with me. That's really what it is. (laughs) I want for my kids. But none of that trumps kids loving and honoring and following Jesus more than anything else because listen to me there is eternity at stake it's so much bigger guys eternity is at stake salvation is at stake And it's not just for them. It, it, I mean, it's for all of us. And so I want to encourage some of you. I want to, I want to challenge some of you. I, there are some of you here who I talk about salvation. I talk about eternity, and you think I'm nuts. I get that. think I'm nuts for a different reason, not for that one. Listen to me. Salvation happens when we submit to Jesus Christ, not when we acknowledge Jesus Christ, not when we pay lip service to Jesus Christ, not when we show up at church on a Sunday, not when we do some of those little things. Salvation happens when we submit to Jesus Christ. It's not a complicated process. It's a simple exchange where I say, I'm sinful, I'm guilty, Jesus is perfect, and he died as punishment on the cross for my sin. That's it. But it's a daily endeavor then to submit to Jesus. It won't be perfect. That's why you get plugged into Sunday school. That's why you come to a small group. That's why you get involved heavily in a church because those are the things that help grow you up. But it's submission and it's necessary. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. We thank you for salvation, not just for us, but Father, we thank you that salvation is available to our children. And we thank you for the role that you've given us to help guide them. I mean, sometimes it probably feels for me, God, at least, and for other people too, like, like it's a crapshoot. Like, how do we know if our kids will grow up to be Christians? We don't know, and maybe it will, and maybe they won't, and, and we can't quite figure it out. But yet, it shouldn't be that way because you've given us in your word, you've given us instructions for how to raise our children so that they can learn and grow in grace and figure out how to love you and submit to you more than anything else in their life. You've given us that roadmap. So God, we thank you for that. We thank you that it's a privilege that we have to raise our children that way. It's a responsibility we have, but that you haven't left us alone in the process. Oh, Father, there is so much to give you thanks for. Um, and we just, we honor you and we submit to you and we just ask you to be with us as we continue in this endeavor. Amen.